Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media a content events and training platform providing success strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, just quickly, before we jump into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. Now, this is a 12-month online program where you have video training that teaches you everything you need to know about how to do your own PR. You can ask questions on the platform and you can also post your proposed pitches and media releases before sending them to journalists to get my feedback. You also get to jump on a monthly live group call where you can ask whatever questions you want about your business and you can get tailored help from me on anything to do with raising the profile of your brand. So it might be that I look at your website and give you some feedback or how to improve your LinkedIn profile and other marketing and PR topics. So if you'd like to find out more about that, just hop on over to veganbusinessmedia.com and you'll see a link there for Vegans in the Limelight. And now on to the main part of the show. In this episode, I interview Christophe Caron, who, with his mother and father, own French vegan restaurant Delice and Sarrazin in New York. Christophe moved from France to New York 10 years ago and spent the first few years as a fashion model represented by top agencies Wilhelmina Models and Ford Models. After becoming vegan, he began craving animal-free versions of traditional French food. So he encouraged his mother Yvette, a renowned chef in France, and his father Patrick to join him in New York to open a French vegan eatery. Since opening six years ago on Christopher Street in the heart of the West Village, the small boutique restaurant, which serves vegan versions of beef bourguignon, steak tartare, and many other delicious French vegan dishes, has become a popular destination with locals and tourists alike. In this interview, Christophe discusses the leap of faith his parents, both about to enter their 60s, took by moving to a new country and starting a venture that hadn't been done before. Why location is everything and how the restaurant landed this particular property which had been closed for 25 years. The challenges of replicating the complex flavours of traditional French dishes without animal ingredients and how they resolved them. The pros and cons of working together in a family business and the key thing that makes it work so successfully for them. How the business attracts and retains loyal long-term employees and the one requirement all staff need in order to keep their jobs. How long it took for the restaurant to turn a profit and how it's been funded to date. And much more. Here's the interview with Christophe Caron from Delice and Sarazan. Hello, Christoph. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much. Uh, well, I'm delighted to have you on the show. So just for listeners uh, to let you know, I was in New York early this year in June uh, 2019, if you're listening in the future. Um, I was over for the Plant-Based World Conference and Expo, and I discovered this amazing French vegan restaurant and it's not only just any old French vegan restaurant it's I think we, we believe it's possibly the only one in the world it's the only one we're aware of that is a vegan restaurant that serves French versions of vegan food so French versions of beef bourguignon and uh, steak tartare etc so I'm very excited to have you on the show Christophe um, because Great, I know, <laughs> and I know you told me a little bit about your your story when I was in in your restaurant enjoying your wonderful food and I believe you and your family so your, your mum and your dad you actually moved from France where you, I believe your mum was a chef and you you know running a regular like mainstream restaurant with with animal based foods and you actually moved right. all the way to New York 
to open your restaurant, Delice and Saracen. Um, so tell us a bit about your reasons, your, your drivers for, for doing what you do. What's your why? What's the why behind the business? Um, so there's a lot of um, things around the why. First, uh, I first came to New York uh, as a model in 2009, um, so 10 years now. And I was vegan just when I moved to New York. So uh, I was, uh, when I moved here, I was just craving after a few months uh, my mom's food, especially because she would just have fun at home and veganize those items. Um, and so, you know, she, she was a chef back then uh, in, in the south of France, where we were from. And, uh, and unfortunately, she was not uh, a vegan chef. Um, she was uh, a chef. She has her own restaurant and she was just a chef. And, you know, after a while, she was like, oh, God, we're vegan. And, and, and she got tired of having to try the food because, you know, even if she was vegan, she had to try the food uh, to make sure it was, uh, it was fully cooked and all of that. And so after a while, she said, you know what? Between the crisis uh, and uh, at this time in 2008 in France, and the fact that uh, she took big and she was like, okay, I'll just close it. So that was in 2008. Yeah. And so I went to New York in 2009. And so uh, a few years later, I said, listen, mom, uh, if you don't plan to open any other restaurant in France, um, I'm, I'm craving, I'm, I live here, I'm craving the food. Can we please just open something here so people can uh, just enjoy the same way I enjoy because when I talk about it people think I'm crazy oh no but it's impossible to do as good as French food blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so you know that's the typical reason um, and so yeah that uh, six years ago my parents said okay and in the blink of an eye they were here in New York and we were shopping around for spaces and uh and yeah, we found we found a, a, a space that we personally loved, and and started the whole adventure. Wow! So so basically, so your your parents were quite happy to say not open a vegan restaurant in France, but to come all the way to New York, and they're in their sixties, I believe. You said are in their fifties or sixties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they turned sixty five this month. Both oh, of them. Wow! Um, wow! So yeah, it's a huge uh, it's a huge chance for them. It's amazing. And I think that's really nice. I just want to pause there to let people kind of sink that in. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, you've got to be young, you know, young to run your own business. And, you know, I think that's really amazing that, you know, two people, you know, I guess six years ago, yeah, they would have been, you know, just coming up to their 60s to actually make yeah. such a life change to move, you know, to a different part of the world and start a new venture that they didn't even know, you know, it was a new brand new concept no, as well. I mean, that, that's nothing. just so brave and wonderful. And I'm so happy that it, you know, it's been successful successful for you. Um, so tell us a bit about the name, uh, Delise and Saracen. I hope I've pronounced that right. If not, you can correct me. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Tell us a bit about how you chose it. Does it mean anything in particular? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Delice means delicious. Ah. And uh, Sarazin, Sarazin is Sarazin. Uh, a, type of, a type of flower that, uh, that is typical in, in authentic in France. Um, it's uh, the translation in English is buckwheat, but it kind of not exactly it. It's really a, a, a type of uh, a flower that you that you find uh, in, especially in in uh, Britain, in the north of France. Uh, it came from there. It's really uh, something that's typical, and we wanted to work with this uh, due to his. Uh, to, to the high uh, nutritional of the, of the buckwheat. Um, oh, and so we started like this and we started using it in dishes and, and, uh, and getting creative. So that, that's, the, that's the whole, that's the whole oh. story behind it. <laughs> 
Well, it, it sounds so much better in French. Like if you called it delicious and buckwheat in English, it doesn't sound yeah. any, any good. But when you say delice and sarrasin, it's yeah. just so lovely. I, I love yeah, French. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I like that. Thank you very much for sharing that. So, um, <laughs> so tell us a bit about the challenges, because obviously, you know, as we mentioned, you know, coming, you know, to a new country, starting a, a new restaurant that's a brand new concept that hasn't really, as far as you know, been done anywhere else. Um, what were some of your key challenges? challenges when you first started out with the business? Well, the first ever issue um, was to find the right space. Uh, it's definitely, I mean, you've seen New York, it's just <laughs> full of spaces everywhere, full of different uh, type of, um, of, of neighborhoods, um, and also, the, the, every time you rent a space in New York, you also rent the history behind it. So we saw that that's a funny, actually funny story. But we, uh, when we, the first space that we wanted to get was um, the space that by Chloe first opened uh, the store on Bleecker. Right. Um, and so we were interested in that space uh, at this time. And for a lot of reasons, um, mainly um, structural, because the building had fire before, we would have had to go through some such a huge process that we decided not to get this one. So the main uh, challenge was to find the space, and uh, and then you know we we when we were walking around we just uh, happened to see this space that was closed for nearly 25 years and uh, we contacted the landlord and she said yes it, was, said, clo yes, it uh, was closed for 25 years did you say yes exactly wow. yeah some people say 25 yeah oh so, my gosh and just to be honest the, the, the landlord didn't even have um, she didn't need to rent it uh, but uh, let's let's put it this way: she was she she was really old, and she just say, "Oh, I was just waiting for the right people." So she was uh -huh. super sweet when she told us that. She's like, "Oh, that's sweet, you." In a way, I, was, <laughs> I waited for you, you know, to oh, get it. Oh, that's, that's lovely. That was super sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so, so that's lovely. definitely a huge issue in New York. Um, and then. The, the second issue was... Just, be, just before we go on to that, Krista, so just, uh, so obviously, yeah. I, I love that. You were obviously looking in the Lower East Side then, in that kind of area. Why why were you looking in that particular location and how good is this particular spot, which is on Christopher Street, so it's right in the, the heart of the, the village. Um, I think I, but yeah. Um, and what, why did you decide on that particular location, not that specific store, which you just explained, but just that general area, right. as opposed to, say, going up on the Upper East Side, for example, where you might might well have had some success there as well because uh, we felt like home ah. in, uh, in that neighborhood it just feels uh, it just gives us a different uh, uh, feeling when we walk around and you know it just felt like you're in Europe in a way um, yeah I know what you mean <laughs> yeah for some reason I, I cannot explain but that, then we said no it has to be in that neighborhood so we focus on this neighborhood Got it. Got it. Great. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. So you were going to talk about, so that was the, one of the key challenges was location, obviously in a big, big city like, like New York. And I love the story of how you found that particular store. Um, and so what, what were some of the other challenges? Uh, I guess to open. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's one of the biggest challenges too when, uh, um when when you pick the when you pick the place then you have to to uh to start working uh all the details so what i mean is the recipes and how to get the ingredients and then um once you open what uh, what should we expect uh are we going to waste food uh how many people should we hire is it going to be crazy busy the first week? How does it work? You know, you never know because sometimes you see openings and it's full of people on the first day. So we kind of didn't know how it was going to be. And, and I'm not going to hide that we had a 
a, a rough time the first couple of months. Um, we did some mistake on organizing, you know, how to, uh, organize this and this. And it was definitely a big challenge, but you know, we learned and, and I guess by, uh, by doing, I want to say a soft opening, we, we, we actually were ready to, after a few months to actually have a, a, a real base of customers. Because, you know, when we first opened, the reason why I say this is because when we first opened, veganism was not a trend yet. Mm. Now, yeah. besides, besides, besides the vegan that, that, that does it for the animal, so for whatever, uh, whatever reason, uh, before, now it's, be, now it becomes a trend. But before it was only the vegan that you could target. Um, and so people was just looking at us really weird. You know, we were the, <laughs> the, the, the new kid on the block, but we were at the same time the weirdo, you know, of the, of the neighborhood. <laughs> you have a, a French vegan, like, you know, first of all, a vegan restaurant in the West Village, you know, they're, all, they're so conservative. And then suddenly vegan, you know, it's, it's really shocked everybody. But, uh, that was, that was a big challenge. Yeah. To constantly um, have to explain that it was uh, it was it was a little bit different, but it was as good. You know that that definitely was a, a challenge at the beginning. Yeah, for sure. And I think you mentioned when I was there as well. The there was some challenges as well in getting the food right. Like I think you said your your mum was a bit concerned about. Oh, you know, can we make you know the French food in in a vegan version and still make it as good as the the animal based um, food? So, what kind of challenges did you have there, and how did you manage to overcome them? I think you mentioned was it a pea or a pea protein or something you, yeah. you discovered and we're very excited about i remember <laughs> yeah so so uh the first thing that uh, uh my mom realized when she actually translated 100 percent the recipes from non-vegan to vegan was the the complexity of the flavor and uh, uh she, with time we realized that it was all about the sauce. It's not even about the meat. It's about the way it's cooked, the ingredients that are used, and the sauce. Okay. And guess what? The sauce most of the time is wine. Uh, even if you might, you might not, you might not feel it, but uh, certain dishes are obviously, you know, known to be cooked in wine, but most of them, you will not even know there is wine. Um, and that's what, that's, that's how, that's where the complexity comes is it, the meat actually doesn't give any flavor. There is a, a particular dish that's called the cassoulet toulousain that's really famous from Toulouse from the south. And this dish was one, one of the most complicated and challenging because everybody says that the flavor of the dish comes from a particular bone of the pork. So, you know, how do you replicate that yeah. sauce that come out of that bone, which sounds disgusting that I want to <laughs> talk about it. And, uh, and when we first, when we first did the, 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 the trial, guess what? It tasted exactly the same without that, that meat. Ah. And so that's when we're like, okay. Okay, so you know what? It tastes like the same. Now let's just find replacements <laughs> for the meat, and the meat will just get the flavor because it's cooked for so long that it absorbs. And I'm talking about vegan meat, and I mean also uh, animal meat. Um, it absorbs the flavor of whatever you cook. Right, got it, got it. And so, and so at this time, uh, pea protein was not yet. Now suddenly this year is. It's a new trend now, the pea protein. But before, we were one of the only one using it. And that's so funny because in France, France that's not a vegan country at all. The main producer of that protein, the pea protein, is France. Ah. In fact, beyond meat and, and, and everybody in the big market that uses pea protein, it all comes from France. Ah. All of it. Wow. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And, <laughs> well, yeah, and now... Funny enough, we, we use a, the, we use a, a pea that, you know, we didn't even try to, to do it this way, but we use a pea that comes from France. 
Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Amazing. So that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. Um, Now, you're a family business. So there's the three of you, you, your your mum and your dad. So what roles do each of the family members have in the business? And I'm just curious, how often are you at the restaurant working? Because I know there's this thing about, you know, restaurants, you've got to be there all the time. Yeah. uh, yeah, So talk about what's maybe what your role is, what your mum and dad's role is briefly, and what a typical day or evening looks like for you. So we all work together. Uh, We all have a different role in the business. Uh, not because we chose it, just because it worked out this way and we all bring something that the other cannot bring. Um, so that fell actually in place really well. So my mom, uh, is the chef. That's yeah. the obvious thing. Everybody knows this. Without her, you cannot do food. Uh, so, okay, good. That part is solved. Um, my dad, uh, at the, at the, when we first opened, he would be the one that would do everything. So, you know, prep the vegetable, prep this, go to the market, get this, fix this, wash the dishes, you know, like all the, <laughs> at the beginning, beginning was, was just fixing it all. And me, I was uh, the, the other side of it. So I would be the face, I would be in the dining room and I would do everything else around it. So accounting and uh, everything that surrounded orders, food orders, uh, marketing and uh, all of this. So... Uh, because my my parents uh, didn't speak French or uh, English back then, um, they would they needed me to to start an opening you know the business and all of this. Wow! So your parents didn't even speak English when they they came here either. No, I mean York, now so. they, they they understand understand, but they don't speak you know as a as right. fluent, of course. I mean, wow, it's, uh, it's normal now, so at this uh-huh. age. So now, nowadays, it's still the same, except that uh, my my dad now only takes care of the fresh produce every day. So every day he goes to the market and and, and bring the the produce, and he um and he's uh he, you know he's a big part too. Without him, we can't really have those fresh produce. There's a few things that we cannot get um uh, from suppliers that we that deliver to us once a week. So we need him to pick up the fresh thing every day. Um, And so me, well, I'm there every day. Um, I I work uh, there every day. I'm there. I used to be there all day, Uh, but now things uh, switched a little bit because we're starting growing in the catering and wedding and events. And so. What I do usually at night is I take care of uh, all of the details organization for the next day. All of most of the events and weddings are at night. Um, birthday parties, office uh, parties. So that's in the morning. I'm there. I do my accounting. I take care of the lunch uh, uh, time. It's not as busy as dinner. And then um, and then I at night I take care of uh, of the I want to say marketing side, uh, organization for the catering and all of that, and coordinating, going there. Yeah. So you're working a lot. You're there seven days a week. Yeah, but you know, it's been like this for six years, so it it, it doesn't even feel it doesn't even feel like I'm working every day. And if I don't work every day now, I can prove on that when I have a day off, it stresses me out. Oh really? How funny! Oh, you always—I love that. Yeah. You love your work because people kind of go. Often they think about you know hospitality and restaurant. It's like it's really hard. And no, it's, it's really stressful, but... it is. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. But you know what? Now, now I learn. I learn. Uh, the, the, I, I, I don't want to say the bad way, but now once when I have a free day, I'm out of the country. I'm just out of New York. If I have a real free day. Then I'm leaving. <laughs> okay, right. I see what you mean. So, you okay. know, I, yeah, yeah. If, if tomorrow, if tomorrow, um, I see that. Okay, it's quiet. I, I go to the airport right away. I'm going somewhere. Oh, right. right. Away. Empty, <laughs> empty suitcase. No suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so no, what, you have to do that yeah. <laughs> because you know, as you said, hospitality takes your, over your life. Absolutely. So you have to 
you have to take your life back a little bit sometimes. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, I love that you love what you do. And I certainly got that impression when I, I met you, like you were just, you know, I could tell you were just really passionate about what you do, which is great. And after six years as well. Um, so what additional staff do you have, if any? And how did you know you were ready to uh, to hire them while still keeping the business sustainable? Because obviously, as we know, hiring staff is a major expense for business. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, staff, when you're talking about challenge, that was one of the biggest challenge uh, for the staff. So right now we have uh, uh, 14 employees. Oh, so you 14. see from, yeah, that's how we grew. Um, so from two people in the kitchen, from my mom and my dad, we went to now uh, uh, 14, of course, not all of them at the same time. But and and then of course the dining room when you need um, you need the waiters and, and obviously at night uh, you need several because it's easier. Um, it was it was tough. We we have been so lucky. I have to say it's it has been really tough. But we found amazing people. That just so you have an example, our sous chef right now. So my mom's right arm i want to say started as a our first dishwasher oh wow really how fabulous yeah ah. and and with time you keep on seeing my mom cooking and and it was kind of becoming part of the family and and then suddenly you know he kept on when my mom forgot something he's like oh you haven't been this and this and my mom was like, oh, wow, you are, you paid attention. <laughs> That's true. And then little by little, uh, he became, uh, he became uh, really familiar with the recipes. And he developed with my mom. She taught him how to develop uh, the palate for it and how to see that what was missing. Because my mom's cooking is a little bit tough because it's not uh, right out of the book. So she doesn't have any measurements. She right. would just uh, <laughs> would just say, "Oh, this is missing." So she would add, like you know, like a little bit of this, a little bit of this. She would not. She doesn't have like okay, one ounce of this, right? Three right. parts of this. Uh-huh. So that was that was the best part. And you know, it's still every day uh, uh, just part. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've been so lucky. He has been with us since the beginning, and a lot of people uh, has been with us in the beginning. And that's what also I have to say made our success because we are really stable. In uh, in in the staff and and believe it or not, but it's the recipe for success also in the restaurant. That's really interesting because I know the hospitality trade is notorious for a fast turnover mm. of staff. You know, people yeah. usually have other gigs, like maybe they're a model, you know, or an actor or, or somewhere, um, but then they do this, yeah. you know, as their kind of day job and, and then leave. So that's that's a testament, I think, obviously to your business that you've managed to retain them. Um, for, you know, and yeah, have- well, we, I, every time I hire someone, I would, you know, I was, I was uh, tell him, uh, I, I want someone that, that wake up in the morning and says, great, I'm going to work. Yeah. Uh, of course, we all have our days that we all are, oh my God, I'm stressed, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, but uh, this happens with or without job. And so I always, I always tell them, okay, I don't want to see anyone unhappy here. And if you're unhappy for some other reason, it's okay. But if it's become of work, then I, I'd rather you stop working because it doesn't make me happy to see that someone is here yeah. feeling forced, you know. I mean, of course, we are forced to work. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> this would not exist. But um, it, it definitely is the, the risk of success. It, it, thanks to those people that helped us and believed in us, uh, we are where we are now. Got it, got it. So I assume you have a mixture of part-time staff as well as full-time staff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, and are they employed? They're not freelance contractors. I'm assuming in hospitality, they're actually employed um, as a staff yes, member. That's yeah, right. got it. Yeah, got it. yeah, exactly. That's amazing yeah, that you've grown in six in six years. That you've grown to have yeah, fourteen employees. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now we are literally at full capacity. So if, even if we wanted to, we cannot hire anyone first because it won't fit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the, the place is small. 
<laughs> of course. So can you tell us a little bit, Christoph, about as much as you're comfortable sharing, because um, obviously, you know, starting a new business, particularly starting a, a business with a physical location um, and renting in a big city like New York can be quite expensive. So I'm just curious, can you talk to us a little bit about how the business has been funded to date? Yeah, so uh, it was basically just self-funded by my parents and I. Uh, it was all personal funds, all of it. Wow. Okay. Great. So no, and you no yes, investors, uh, or you're not looking to expand or open another, or are you just happy growing this one or running this one? No, no. We definitely are. Uh, we, we're working on uh, on uh, on other things on the side. We. It's not that we don't want to grow. It's just that now that we manage to uh, to have a certain stability in terms of. Uh, uh, staff and food production. Uh, we we just a few months ago we just came to the point like finally we can we can breathe a little bit now. Okay, you know we got it. Right. You know, right. So so that's uh, I think we're just taking that time to to relax a little bit, but at the same time uh, now my mom wants more. You know she's <laughs> kind of like this. So. <laughs> they kind of always are, they feel challenged. It's automatic to them, you know, okay, okay, yeah. I've done this, but now what do I do? I did it, so next. She sounds know. amazing, your mum. I wish I'll have to, but hopefully I'll get to meet her next time because she sounds yeah, so yeah. fabulous. I love that, you know, she's 65. She's had a, you know, been a professional, you know, chef. She's like, okay, I've done the vegan thing. Now what? I love that. She sounds great. Yeah, and, and, and she's like, oh, but, uh, and so what she does is uh, because of the scene now, she has more free time than before. Uh, <laughs> what she does is she innovates. So she she cooks at home and she brings it to the kitchen and us. And she asks us to you know about, uh, she will produce new things, you know, new dishes and and uh, to she needs to e- innovate. Uh, do she wants to try to do like uh, like uh, um, uh, a lobster? It's a high end dish called Omar Thermidor. It's really high end in France, and she wants to reproduce that. Uh, that it's lobster that's ah. cooked with thousands of different things. So she is like focused on this, trying to recreate that dish that wow. costs a fortune in France. But um, so that's her new thing now to, ah. to try to innovate on more complicated things. That's amazing. That's so cool. And I think it's important. I just want to highlight for people listening that you said it's only really been until recently where you can go, okay, we got this, we can relax. And that's after six years. Because I think there's this perception that, you know, you open a restaurant and suddenly you're going to be in profit and it's all going great after six months. And it can take a long time, as you said, to build up that clientele. And I know you mentioned that the customers have changed from just being predominantly vegans to now, you know, more flexitarians. And, and as we saw when I was there, there was a couple from Florida and I think she was vegan and her husband was uh, not, but you right. know, and he loved it. Exactly. So um, it, it can take that while to really, you know, build that reputation and, and get that regular clientele coming and them spreading the word and tourists coming and really establishing yourself as a business so thank you for sharing that and you know giving people a real picture of of what it takes to to have of a course. successful business that's fantastic now in terms of the word uh, because i know you're you're responsible for the marketing in terms of the word vegan in your you know when you're marketing and promoting the restaurant um you know some people say oh you know, vegan's still a scary word and we should use plant-based or something like that instead. Um, what are your thoughts? I like to get people's take on this because there's no right or wrong answer. It obviously depends on the brand, but I'm curious about your decision to use the word vegan um, and how often. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Okay, two reasons. Uh, first, plant-based in, in a lot of um, ways used is not, all the time vegan. Uh, so, for example, today you have today uh, Dunkin' Donuts in the U.S. just released their first ever uh, plant-based product uh, that's made with the Beyond sausage uh, and on a vegan English muffin. But guess what? It's the product is plant-based, but it has dairy cheese. Ah. Uh. So, so you see, they are advertising plant-based, meaning, uh, okay, the meat is not animal-based, but there's still animal products in it. 
Right. Um, yes. And the second thing is the second reason to use we want to use it with vegan just because we would we would like let's let's just um let's just uh, break the ice and just okay people need to get used to this they have no choice anyway okay this is vegan stop complaining eat (laughs) 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 exactly i love that philosophy i think miyoko shina has that uh, philosophy as well it's just like let's break the stereotypes and and i think it's amazing to do it with food and especially with something like france like even if you get a person going in and saying right i'm probably going to hate this but i'm going to go and try it anyway and then you wow them which you do because your food is so amazing it's suddenly their their mind is like and then they go and talk to him and say, I went to a French vegan restaurant. And I know you wouldn't think of the words French and vegan in the same sentence. And I know because my partner had a house in the south of France and we used to go there regularly. And when we went vegan, it was a nightmare because, you know, there was no vegan cheese or very little vegan cheese. Oh, my God, yeah. It was hard being vegetarian, never mind vegan. So I think it's really great that you're kind of blowing people's minds through the, the food um, and yeah just breaking down those stereotypes so I, I love that and um, so can you just uh, just before we wrap up a couple more questions and um, just around um, how you talked a little bit about marketing the restaurant so what were some of the ways that you promoted and marketed the restaurant when you first opened it and what current marketing and promotional strategies are you currently using that are most effective so we uh we were really lucky because we had uh, ABC, the channel, that came and filmed us, contacted us, filmed us, and a week after we won TV, and that's kind of like helped us. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the camera went to the kitchen, and they saw my mom cooking the beef bourguignon, and 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 so people could actually see it, uh, see what it means, and 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 so the second it was on on air, we had plenty of last minute reservations, a lot of phone calls, nonstop, nonstop. So of course this is just a wave, right? Then it goes back a little bit, uh, it slows down. But uh, with with this, we just haven't stopped having propositions. So we basically didn't do any direct work marketing. We just didn't do anything, actually. We just let them do it for us. People came, contacted us, and we do not talk about you. Can I come? Can I send pictures? Blah, blah, blah. Or, or they just publish it without telling us, you know? So it was amazing to see that we haven't really done anything for marketing. And that's where you see... That's where you see that it's a trend. Um, because when you don't need to do marketing, it means that people are looking for it already. And that there's not enough offer. There's too much demand and not enough offer. Right. And so, so this you know, was when be- so this happened, you say within the first week you had TV coverage, mainstream TV coverage within the first week of you opening the restaurant. So that was before vegan was a trend. No, actually actually that was a year after we opened. Oh, a year after, I beg your pardon. Oh, okay, yeah. got it, got it. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's interesting. And I think as well, one of the reasons you, I can imagine like you would be, you know, so popular with the media is because you're a first of its, of your kind, you know, first ever, you know, vegan restaurant that's serving traditional French food and the media obviously love firsts, you know, world firsts and area first, country first. So I can imagine they would have been lapping it up with, uh, yeah. Oh my God, yes. And then you had all those, uh, all those French chef wanted to come over and try. This is not possible. This is an insult. <laughs> and then, you know, and then, and they would say this, no, but you can't do this. This is an insult. And I said, but yes, <laughs> you're here already. So I attracted your attention. If you came, yes. you can't complain <laughs> because <laughs> you were curious. <laughs> exactly, so, exactly. And, you know, once they tried, they were like, wait, wait, how do you do this? This is impossible. It's uh, not. And I'm like, okay, you know, that that's the issue if French chef. They, they they are educated in a way that they think is there's no other way possible. 
Right, right. It's nice to see that kind of starting to change. Well, certainly with, I, I don't know about French chefs, but certainly some of the well-known English, British chefs, you know, the, the kind of celebrity chefs, they're starting to kind of open their minds a little bit now, whereas once before they would have done the same thing and said, oh, it's an insult and don't you dare mention vegan, whereas, you know, yeah. even some of them are kind of like, oh, okay, maybe maybe there is something to this. Oh, that's brilliant. So what about now, Christopher? Exactly. I mean, how where do your customers come from? Is it mainly word of mouth? How important is social media? media or other marketing strategies yeah i think it's just word of mouth uh and uh and the reservation systems such as open table and uh, facebook and google now you can you know book tables through there so if you if you're looking for vegan you just have vegan on the map and then you know it shows you the restaurant around and then you can book through it so it, it's really just uh, how we we promote it Got we it. don't really do any 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 advertising. Um, I think it just goes by itself. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, again, that's yeah. that's because it's I guess either people are also curious, then there's the people that come back, and you also have the vegan, and you have the tourists. So you kind of have every type of uh, of customers. Uh, that's also a, a good thing because of being in New York. Absolutely. I mean, I heard about, I must admit, I heard about it. Uh, a friend shared something on Facebook and said, I've been to this amazing French vegan restaurant. And I was like, what is a French vegan restaurant in Manhattan? I must go yeah. there. So I made a point of going there. And now, of course, I went there and then I was like, oh my God, here I am at a French vegan restaurant. And I know other people have said, oh, I'm going to go there. And of course, I'll come back next time I'm in New York because I want to try some of the other dishes. And so, yeah, it's, it, I think that's, that's good for people to hear that, um, you know, that word of mouth, I think is really good. And social media marketing is essentially word of mouth online um so yeah. yeah that's fantastic i mean i was going to ask you I, I typically ask people you know obviously there are more and more vegan restaurants entering the market and how do you go about standing out i mean at the moment as far as we know you're the only restaurant doing these traditional french dishes and i imagine even if another french vegan restaurant opened doing similar your mum just sounds so amazing and innovative that she's going to just no. continue to be ahead of the curve with creating new dishes. <laughs> yeah i think i think it's so, so we uh, we are not really afraid uh, of, uh, of any other restaurant opening. If it's vegan, we just consider it as a as a friend already. You know, okay, you're vegan. We don't really consider it as a competition, especially because what we do is so special. It's not like you get a hamburger to this vegan and you go to the other one, and you know it's kind of the same flavor when you talk about a hamburger. So uh, we are not we are not really afraid about this. We we just want to make we just want to people to enjoy what they're, what they're eating. I think that's the most important. That's the best we want for us. Absolutely. Just on a final uh, couple of questions to wrap up. What you, We mentioned you're a family business. I'm just curious about whether, because it can be quite tricky, like working with your family, it can either really, really yeah. work and be great, or it can be I a disaster know. and it could tear the family apart. So I'm wondering, have you got any tips totally. for how to work well with if you decide if someone decides to go into business with their family what tips can you offer to how to keep that harmonious oh my god um, <laughs> i mean it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely as you said it's tricky it's challenging uh it's tough i'm not gonna lie we had ton of issues between each other's and plenty of time we were tired of each other's but um, I think it was it, it, it was more um, it was more related to our own opinion, but it was it wasn't really related to the business side. I want to say it's because when you stay with someone for so long in one room <laughs> for sixteen hours a day and seven days a week. It comes a time that you're like, oh my God, you, you're, you're, I'm tired of you. You know, I, I never said I would say this, but I'm tired of you. I'm tired to see you. I love your honesty. <laughs> I mean, I, I love you, but uh, come on, I need to, I need to see someone else already. But uh, I think the, the, what uh, really made us, um, successful is because we all have a different, uh, a different goal in the restaurant, uh, meaning we all do things that the other cannot do. 
So I cannot replace my mom. I cannot replace my dad. And my mom and my dad cannot replace me. They cannot do what I'm doing. They are incapable of doing what I'm doing. They cannot do the, uh, the, uh, the paperwork side and the accounting side and, you know, the, the customer service and all the email stuff. Um, and my dad cannot cook, you know, and he cannot do my job. So we all need each other. So even if we fight, we still need each other to keep going. So that's how, you know, that's how the business, I guess, uh, worked out. Fantastic. Because no one, we are just irreplaceable. If, if, we have, if one piece of the puzzle is away, we don't really work. Right, know? got it. No, I love that. That's great. Um, so what have been the key lessons you say you've learned through, because you say your background, you were a model. You came to New York, you know, being a model, and now you're, you're running this yeah. uh, family business, French vegan restaurant. So what are some of the key things you've learned through running Delis and Sarsin? Um and that, whether they're personal things or that you've learned about yourself or professional or both? The key lessons, uh, I think it made me realize that personal time is important. Um, because uh, when you spend all day with, with people, surrounded by people, uh, and when you have a restaurant in New York that's open all day, every day, I would say it's like a, it's like a baby. It's like a baby that never grows. <laughs> so you always need, you always need to watch him, you know, to see if the baby is not going to touch this, it's not going to fall, it's, you know, constantly need to be on top of it. And it's the same with the, with the restaurants, uh, especially when it's in New York again. So I think I've learned to to say stop and and have my own personal time. It's really it's so complicated to just let go when you're used to do it yourself. Um, so I think that was one of the biggest uh, lessons that I had. That, yeah, uh, it's work, an important one. Great. Yeah, especially exactly. when it's a vegan restaurant because we're not just any old business. We're yes, we're a business and we're right. making our money, but we're also it's a mission-driven business. And I, I think sometimes you know people say, "Oh well, I must keep you know doing this and doing this," and because we enjoy it. But you're absolutely right. And sometimes we can feel a little bit guilty about just like sitting down and hanging out or chilling out to something on Netflix. But you need that decompression sometimes, isn't it, to just, so that you can be refreshed and energized to give back to the business. Exactly. You're, you're right. That, that's my big, uh, I want to say, lesson that I got. Um, I guess, you know, I never worked that many hours a day, so I never had to think about personal time, me time. Yeah, yeah, that's an important one. Fantastic. Now, I know we're just on final question, and I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, but just anything you want to say about the long-term vision, both for yourself and uh, the restaurant brand? So we definitely want to be there for a while. Um, we have no plan on on stopping. Um, and uh, as I said, yeah, we, we definitely um, we're working on another side of the French cuisine, which is the the pastry side. Oh, the pastry lovely. side <laughs> and the and the cheese side. Uh, so, you know, we had the cuisine, but now it's, I think it, it's time to also focus on croissant and milfeuille and those cheeses to make them as wow as the other thing. You know, that's what we want to do. So I think that's our vision now uh, to keep the quality stable, which is uh, a challenge too. But now that we have all the, the, the elements to help us keep it stable, we want to focus on, on those things, on, on the other aspects of the French uh, culinary side. 
Oh, wonderful. That's so exciting because I remember when we used to go to the south of France, one of my favorite places was to go to this vegan pastry shop, uh, you know, patisserie. And it uh-huh. was just, oh, you know, the guess. this was before when we were vegetarian. So when we went vegan right. again, it was like, okay, we can't, there's nothing we can buy here. But when we were just vegetarian, you know, it was like, oh, amazing gatos, yeah. as you say, and croissant. And oh, I love the fact that you're going to be veganizing all of those. It's wonderful. So, Christoph, it's been yeah, wonderful yeah. speaking with you. Um, I love what you and your family are doing. For anyone who's in New York or visiting New York, definitely go and visit Delise and Sarasin. You won't be disappointed. We'll put a link on the show notes page so people can find it. And hopefully next time I'm one, definitely next time I'm in New York. I'm not sure when that will be. Hopefully next year. Um, I will definitely be back to try another one of your dishes and hopefully meet your amazing mum as well. But it's been great speaking with you. You've been very generous with your time and expertise. I'm going to let you get back to work because I know it's evening there where you are. Um, But thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show, Christophe. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for having me. So that was Christophe Caron from Delice and Sarasin. You can find out more at delicesarasin.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 127. Now for some vegan business news highlights. The leather industry in Australia has hit an all-time low as more consumers are embracing synthetic alternatives, reports the ABC. Australia mostly exports animal skins to tanneries in other countries where the final processing is carried out. According to Dennis King, Executive Officer of the Australian Hide Skin and Leather Exporters Association, the popularity of synthetic clothing and shoes, especially in the sneaker market, has devastated the leather industry, which he said was in one of the worst depressions it's been in in living memory. Meanwhile, over in the UK, British fashion retail giant New Look has launched 500 vegan shoes and bags, which are all certified by the Vegan Society with its trademark, reports Plant-Based News. The products are currently available to order online and will be rolled out into more than 900 stores from September. That's 2019 if you're listening in the future. New Look has also committed to reducing its reliance on animal-derived ingredients and achieve transparency in the supply chain. How heartening is it to hear that consumer choices are having an impact on leather, which is a cruel and unsustainable industry, and hopefully this will encourage people in that industry to move to kinder alternatives. I've been saying for a while now that we need governments to help transition animal-based businesses into animal-free ones, and this is a prime example. Los Angeles is hosting its first vegan bridal fair, reports Veg News. The Lux and Kind Bridal Boutique pop-up will take place on the 8th of September, again that's 2019 if you're listening in the future, at the Bel Air Treehouse, a plant-based hotel in LA. The fair will showcase a range of vegan wedding suppliers, vendors and professionals, including catering company Pink Salt Cuisine, vegan production company Amethyst Event Productions and event planners Everlasting Vegan Events. Former wedding photographer Daniela Degrassi, founder of the Kind Bride vegan media brand, came up with the idea for the fair with Laura Frecon, founder of lifestyle brand Verte Lux. I love seeing the growth of this kind of niche service and event. More people are keen to have vegan and eco-friendly weddings, and it makes sense for product makers, vendors, and service providers to team up in this way and offer a one-stop shop for vegan wedding needs. Hopefully, vegan bridal fairs will take off, and if you're listening to this and that's your area, then perhaps that's something that you could help to organise in your city, and I hope that they'll become popular in all cities, and ultimately, of course, ideally, we want all bridal fairs to become vegan. So this is certainly a good start. Fantastic. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. 
Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 